0: Our brains are wired to believe that every decision we make is going to be successful. And in many in many instances, we're able to strategize six or seven different ways that something is going to be successful. And we have this big disconnect of being able to think that something will fail.
1: Welcome to the Inspire podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, president and CEO of the Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. Before I introduce today's episode, a quick note, season two has gone a lot longer than season one because I've just been having so many great conversations that I didn't want to take a break, Uh, but I will. (laughs) And so the podcast will run likely uh, to the end of 2020 and then we'll take a couple months off uh, and come back with more great content. So thanks for listening. Thanks for all the support. My guest today on the podcast takes us into the world of simulation. Matt Confer is Vice President at Ability, a learning company that the Humphrey Group has partnered with. Uh, We have both brought our content and work to client engagements and really admired what uh, our respective organizations have done. So Matt had me on his podcast, Learn to Lead, and he has graciously come on mine. And we tackle how the company uses simulation to build leadership skills and what leaders can do to create simulations of their own. Even if they're not using technology, using role plays and other exercises to kind of prepare people for success. And we also look at how you do that in this age of distraction. So lots to take away and hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt Confer. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Matt Confer, and, and Matt joins me from Austin, Texas. Uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast.
0: Uh, it's great to be here.
1: Great to have you, and uh, I, and to be returning the favor, I appreciate the chance to come on your podcast uh, earlier um, this month, and uh, to learn more about what your company Ability does, and now to have you back on to share some of your insights and expertise, because um, as we know from partnering with the Humphrey Group and Ability, you do some cutting-edge thing in the area of simulation and experiential learning. So looking forward to diving into that with you today.
0: Sounds great. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. And before we dive into the matrix of, of simulation, let's just talk about you for a bit. What's uh, Tell me a bit about yourself and what led you to Ability. So I grew up or went to high school in the New England area. It led me to a small
0: school in New England where I was convinced that I was going to be a lawyer. Um, That changed uh, very fast. And after taking classes on economics and focusing on the business world, I decided that the goal should be some path to the consulting world. So I found my way to Deloitte Consulting and was in their internal financial management group. So we were basically project managers for the largest consulting projects all around the world. And I spent about almost eight years there. And it was a wonderful place um, to begin your career. I learned from incredibly bright people and got to work on incredibly diverse projects. Um, After that, there was a big part of me that had a desire to go work for smaller and smaller organizations. The, The quintessential, I wanted to be at an organization where I basically had to wear more hats. And that has found me about two years ago to Ability, which is an experiential learning company based in Austin, Texas. We do all simulation-based learning and leadership programs for organizations in about 30 countries around the world. And we have the pleasure of working with great organizations like yours and also with about 40 or 50 members of the Fortune 500 along with universities and, and corporations as well. So it's been one heck of a journey and I'm, I'm excited for what, what chapter is next.
1: And, and did your journey from big Deloitte to small ability also involve a move to Texas? Was that part of the, uh, the transition? It did. So I was in Boston, Massachusetts,
0: I met my now wife, who also was working at Deloitte Consulting. And I absolutely love Boston. I think it's one of the most vibrant cities in mm-hmm. the country and maybe even in the world. I, however, am not a fan of the cold. And so <laughs> um, when presented with the opportunity to move to Austin, Texas and help manage our office out here, it was an opportunity that, that both her and I jumped on.
1: Yeah, in both great cities, you know, I, I've grown up on in Toronto, a lot of family from the US have so spent time in Boston and then a couple of years ago I took my team down to Austin. So you chose well. Um, so, so let's just talk a bit about, you know, you've said a few things there I want to just dive into, you know, experiential learning, simulation. I mean, what are these things? <laughs> And why do they know they're for leaders?
0: (laughs) We, We have this fundamental belief that you want to kind of create a sandbox for training that looks somewhat like the real world. People want to be engaged and play an active role in their learning. And so we have three core simulations that we work with. So one is all based on people management. One is focused on financial acumen. And then one is focused on more strategic leadership and decision-making skills. And so this is a gamified approach, meaning people log into a browser-based game. It kind of in some ways, people think it has a SimCity type of look <laughs> to it where you and your teammates are getting information from the simulated interface but also making decisions that impact the dynamic market that you're competing in so in our decision-making game you are basically building a company from the ground up so if you drop the price That impacts the market that every other team is selling into. So during the debriefs and during the strategy sessions, your team constantly has to be disseminating information between your teammates and reacting to what else is going on in the market, which Hmm. provides... A fruitful opportunity for us to talk about cross-functional communication or strategic planning or how do you deal with ambiguity? So we tried to gamify the approach to having those critical conversations.
1: And so that sounds really cool. And so am I inferring that like your team logs in and other teams are logging in and everyone's playing together in a way that kind of creates a unique competitive challenge?
0: Yeah, the, the thing that we like to say about our experiences is, is they're all team based, they're all competitive, and they all have kind of a competitive scoreboard-esque component cool. to it. The, it's not built just around who wins and who loses, but the thought process being if teammates are depending on you and there's a competitive element, it's a little bit harder to uh, click over to YouTube or to go yeah. check your your company email.
1: Well, and you know, a lot of what you're talking about resonates with us at the Humphrey Group. I mean, from the 20 years I've been in the business, one of the things that we've always believed so firmly in is experiential learning that, you know, you have to, whether it's preparing for a presentation to actually go through and do it with colleagues who understand you can give you feedback. There's just something in the brain that happens when you actually have to put into practice that doesn't happen when you kind of listen to the sage on the stage. Hmm. Why is it I mean, do you have the science behind that? Like, why is it that when you actually try it and do it, that leads to learning?
0: Yeah. So we we do a lot of work about what does it mean to actually drive engagement? And there was this really interesting study from the University of Minnesota, their Center for Educational Innovation. They did this massive study on student engagement. And they found that the learning that drove achievement, but also drove personal development, shared two characteristics. And it was active learning and it was collaborative learning. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest reason is if we as professionals think back to what our working world was like five or 10 years ago, mm-hmm. there was a lot more individual type of work. And mm-hmm. now work by its very nature is much more team-based, much more active. And so training should reflect that in order to prepare us for the world that we're working in. Right. We, we talk we talk sometimes about you know, pilots or healthcare workers or the military, they all have a component of training by doing before mm-hmm. we trust them with the very important tasks that we trust them with. Why don't corporate leaders train in a similar way?
1: Yeah, you know, that re- that really resonates with me as you know, active and collaborative as um, what leads to change and why I think, you know, so much even though we're in this world where there's so much content, right, you know, we've we're doing a podcast, you can listen to podcasts. You can watch YouTube videos. I know you've got a TED talk. Um, We'll put that in the show notes as well. But it still doesn't lead to change to the degree that doing active collaborative learning does. And I think, you know, when you look at this world we're in, I see with my kids now doing e-learning, it's so hard because it is not collaborative and it's rarely active. And so my wife, who's a teacher, is basically just taking over their their homeschooling. Um, But I think, you know, it speaks to the how even as we go digital, as we go virtual, the same fundamental principles that that will lead to profound learning remain the same.
0: I totally agree. And we've obviously are talking now in you know June of 2020, where the world has been turned upside down a little bit. We've been running these simulations as in-classroom, but also as virtual experiences Mm -hmm. for about four or five years now. And some of the learnings that I think made us very successful in the physical classroom is also, to your very point, what's making people successful in the virtual classroom. If you don't have people engaged and if you don't have them communicating and active in the process, it's so easy to get distracted or taken in a different direction. And, and then you miss the opportunity to hit those learning objectives, no matter what the learning objective really is.
1: Totally, totally. And you, know, I, I often you know, when I tell people, clients, partners, friends that you know our business is able to do everything virtually and moving to fully digital, they say, oh, you know, well, I'm sure then you know you can cut your costs, you have huge scale. I said, no, because we still believe that having a facilitator to guide and coach is fundamental to learning. So. You really outline why simulation, why experiential learning is so powerful. And obviously people could send someone to an ability program, but let's let's imagine we've got people listening who are people managers who are leaders. How should they be thinking in how they manage and develop their talent about incorporating principles that you use to training and developing their, their teams?
0: Yeah. So we're big believers that you can kind of find ways to take experiential learning into what you do, even if you don't go, let's say all the way into the deep end and say, we're going to you know, just throw our people into a simulation and see what happens. And one of the things that I always like to talk about is coaching and, and mentorship mm-hmm. programs. And I'm somebody who, who benefited immensely from being at organizations that care deeply about coaching and mentorship. But one thing you can do is I always found, and and maybe this will resonate with some of your listeners, sometimes coaching and mentorship programs have a very surface level approach to them. It's what happened over the last week or month and what do you want to happen over the next week or the next month. I think you should dive two levels below that and say, okay, let's take an experiential approach to this. Let's act out a case study. Let's Hmm. do something with our mentor. So let's rip something from the business headline that just happened. And let's say the manager should play this Mm -hmm. role and the mentee should play this role and let's actually act it out and then huh. let's talk about well why did you handle that when you got that question we were you know we were playing that we were a press conference and something just happened really bad and i was the reporter and you were the executive right. and i asked you something and you responded that way well why did you respond that huh. way and that mentor might say something to the effect of well seven years ago in my career I did the I did the opposite approach and I got ridiculed for it and it didn't resonate with my team. So actually act things out pretend right. that the practice world, the training world is the real world and see how you can push
1: people's comfortable limits. I'm I can say you know because we get people to role play in our courses even in our courses there's objections oh this is artificial, uh, this won't really replicate what's going to happen. What feedback or guidance would you give to managers who are saying those things to your suggestion of bringing role plays into coaching and mentoring?
0: Yeah, I think back to, I had the pleasure of, well, I was at Deloitte um, going back to school to get my MBA. Mm-hmm. And and I think part of it is part of my personality, but I really always liked the, the case study Socratic method. I, mm-hmm. I found it fascinating to hear how other people think. And I think you slowly pick up little nuggets about how you should approach your strategic thinking Mm -hmm. process by listening to how others think. And if you're in a mentorship program, you by your very nature have a level of respect for the individual that you're working with. And so hearing how they would handle, um, we run a leadership program and one of the case studies that we use is United Airlines from the issue of them you know, pulling the passenger off the plane mm-hmm. and how that was really poorly, obviously received in the media. And so we ask people to kind of talk about that situation of how they could have handled it differently and if you're the mentee of somebody who is two levels above you at your organization, hearing from their experience, I think can really shape the type of leader that you are when inevitably down the line you're faced with something where you have to make a decision about how you're gonna convey your perspective when it's a little bit um there's a little bit of ambiguity about the right way to approach it
1: so Matt, what's the one piece of advice you give to someone who? Is looking to really make the most of this role playing?
0: I think the biggest thing is you have to embrace the opportunity to play a character. But the second thing, and it's kind of a corollary, is. Sometimes we throw a little bit of a curveball at people to keep them at their toes. So we'll ask them what they believe the potential right approach is. And then we'll ask them to actually play the antithesis. Mm. You embrace, you embrace in some context, the devil's advocate role. And it forces you to really crystallize your belief when you have to play the alternative. And it gets you more comfortable mm. dealing with the challenges that we all face.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, you know, really just having to, you know, think about with empathy, the other argument, (laughs) you know, I think that's, that's the most fascinating thing to me there is how is the other person taking the position and why? So um, yeah, it forces you to kind of get out of your own head. So great advice to anyone mentoring and coaching people, you know, embrace simulation, embrace role play and, you know, go with it. Let's let's look broader. You know, if you're not in the one on one context, you're leading a team. Um, How do you incorporate these practices of experiential learning and simulation in that context? Hmm.
0: It's a great question. I think we were asked to talk about, you know, why experiential learning? And one of the things that we really came up with is we said there are two main reasons And one of them is the distracted learner. So we kind of colloquially call it the pings, the dings, and the rings. You're constantly constantly just getting inundated with whether it's the most hilarious cat video or whether it's a a text message (laughs) from your friend from high school. So how do you as a manager deal with a distracted learner? And then the second component is the demand for control. Um, We've Hmm. grown up in this era where, you know, nowadays, if you don't like going to the grocery store, groceries will just show up on your front porch. Or if you're going to the airport, a car will just show up. You'll get in the car, you'll walk to the airport and your credit card will be charged without you really (laughs) ever having to talk to somebody. Hmm. So as a manager or as a leader of an organization, you have to embrace the fact that your team is distracted and they demand some level of control <laughs> in the experience. So I think the first step is communication. There are some individuals who would just prefer to hear you talk about the company strategy for 15 minutes every two weeks and talk about how it's changed. But there are others who would say, I would love to get an email from you in advance about where our strategy is. And then I want you to host a listening session every two weeks where we actually banter back and forth and talk and you respond to questions about where we're at. And I think that's applicable in a strategic context. I also think it's applicable in a training context. You need to talk to people about how, how they want to be met for their learning objectives Hmm. and then adjust your program accordingly.
1: And what would be, are there kind of three ways broadly that you see that people want to learn? Are there kind of some common themes that you should be exploring? I think common theme number
0: one that we see is some people want some of the opportunities to be at an individual pursuit. So that very well might be sharing with them. If you're a book person, here are two books that we think really resonate with what we're about to teach you a month from now or a week from now. If you're a podcast person, or if you're a academic journal person, or if you're a YouTube interview person, like here are different opportunities for you to get a sense for the context that we're going to talk about. So I think option one is give people some level of choice. Okay. I think number two is make it collaborative. Well, one thing that we hear time and time again, is the best part of a training. We're obviously big fans of our simulation, but the thing that mm-hmm. resonates the most with people is not the technology. It's the opportunity to interact with other people hmm. on their team or in their department. So I would say wholeheartedly embrace collaboration. And number three is in a virtual environment, still look to replicate some of the things that people love about the in-classroom training experience. So we still host virtual coffee breaks during mm. our virtual trainings. You're making the coffee at home rather than, you know, going out of the room to a nice, you know, hotel lobby where they have a beautiful coffee bar set up, but put people into a breakout room so that you can have coffee with somebody that you don't normally interact with. So you still get the 15-minute right. break, but you still get the networking.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, for those listening who aren't doing training, if you're running meetings, if you're doing, uh, you know, large group get togethers, there's a lot of important you know, practices to know that people still crave that social connection. And you may have to find different ways to enable it and also to enable collaborative dialogue. So it is I mean, it's so so fascinating, the parallels of running training and and leading, <laughs> you know, and communicating as a leader. It's it just demands a, a new level of intention now. Uh, from leaders in this in this um, attention starved economy with the, what was it you were calling it the pings dings the, and <laughs> the boy, pings <laughs> the dings and the rings yeah the rings yeah
0: and and honestly i couldn't agree more i have a colleague who i think has done an incredible job of embracing her role as a leader in this new world and she hosts these Zoom chat meetings where basically all she does is sit in a Zoom room as if she's sitting in our conference room when we were back in the office and anybody can pop in at any time. And many of the opportunities, they just work. They don't even talk Hmm. that much. It's just more to replicate the the conscious Hmm. belief of sitting next to somebody and being able to bounce ideas off of them. And I think that's really resonated with her team.
1: I love that. So you're working together rather than coming together to meet about something. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful takeaway. If you're with a team. Okay, so you're, you're bringing your team together. You're making sure they have opportunities to connect They're You're creating this collaborative environment. Now you've talked about how in the one on one setting, you can put them into role plays, you can play the other side, you can really get into character. How should leaders think about bringing those tools and techniques of simulation and experiential learning to a team setting?
0: Yeah, I think it's a spectacular question. And one of the things that I've seen teams do really successfully is when they're at the crossroads of making a really big decision sometimes you have to say if this is an unmitigated failure why is what we're thinking about doing going to be an unmitigated failure and i think the reason is because our brains are wired to believe that every decision we make is going to be successful (laughs) and in many in many instances we're able to strategize six or seven different ways that something is going to be successful, and right. we have this big disconnect of being able to think that something will fail. I, I had the pleasure of um, getting on stage at a TEDx conference in in Dallas and talking about our three step decision making process. And number two on that list was embracing a pre mortem. And the reason that we called it that was because teams and individuals tend to deviate towards a post mortem. They wait. Hmm until their decision is done or their action has been completed. And then they all get together and they say, "Okay, why did this work or why did this not work? You need to be having the why would this not work conversation on the front end. And a lot of the teams in the simulation that we see or the leaders that we talk to aren't having those conversations. They're asking people to hypothesize why this will work. You need to put the same energy into hypothesizing why this will be an unmitigated
1: failure. Okay, so let's dive into that one. Because, because again, much like your play, the other side it's counterintuitive. So if you're, this is a kind of simulation, right, that you can run. So if you're, if you're a leader, you're about to embark on a strategy, how should you set the stage for the how will this fail?
0: Yeah. So we will say something to the effect of, and we try to do this as an, as an organization. Let's say we're thinking about um, rolling out a brand new simulation. And we think that the there's enough people who have asked us for a simulation on a certain topic. And so where is a team going to decide, is this a path that we want to go down? Normally, our approach would be, Yes, we should do this because six clients have asked for it. If those six clients all put 100 people through it and we charge XYZ dollars, we're going to make this much revenue and it will only take us 42 hours to get it ready to go. So as a result, profitability, this is a great decision we should do with it. Our our approach is let's first say, okay, let's say that the six clients like it, but they don't have a fit for it or the people that they run through it aren't that engaged in the process so the people don't re-sign for the next year. Or if the technology doesn't resonate with them, it might cause problems with us in future work with this organization. We almost try to sticky note and throw up everything that could cause this to just fail miserably. And it's a really weird thing that is sometimes hard to turn that part of your brain on. But I think when you do, you by your nature then adjust your decision making to mitigate for those outcomes. And not only does it protect you, I think it also makes the final path you you go down more successful.
1: It's almost like that. I don't know if you ever read that book, The Wisdom of Crowds. um, Exactly. Where you know you find that you when you have these disparate perspectives aggregated, you end up with a more accurate than um, decision than if any individual one. So th- this to me is almost like forcing yourself to have the contrarian position so that you can ultimately come up with the best decision.
0: Do you, do you mind if I share my favorite story from history about this, yeah, this topic? Yeah, please. Okay, it. so it's about snakes, so permit me Bring a it. little bit. <laughs> okay, So d- during the era of colonialization in India, the British government was concerned about the number of cobra snakes in Delhi, so this major city in India. They had all of these ideas, and all of them failed, and finally what the government decides to do is they offer a cash bounty for every dead snake. So initially, this is a great idea, and a ton of dead snakes get brought to the government, and it it kind of starts to work. The problem is imaginative individuals started to breed cobra snakes, (laughs) because now they could generate this immense amount of income. The government then becomes aware of this, and they scrap the reward program, as you would imagine that they do, Well, then all of the snake breeders just let their snakes free because they have no <laughs> value. And so as a result, the snake problem got worse, not better. And I think that the whole theory that I have between behind <laughs> embracing a pre-mortem is you have to assume that something will be an unmitigated failure, so you can work to protect yourself from making those disastrous decisions.
1: I love it. The unintended consequences. Exactly. It's a great story. And and, and that leads to my final question I was going to ask you, which is if you're a leader and you're, you're coaching through simulation or you're leading your team through one of these counterfactual exercises, what is the biggest mistake that you observe leaders making that people should be aware of so they can avoid?
0: Hmm. So we called our third and final step, Check the Basics. And I think it's the biggest mistake that I see people make. So I have the pleasure sometimes of facilitating one of our simulations. These are high potential or high ranking executives or rising leaders Mm -hmm. at incredible organizations. And they'll put together these grandiose plans. Sometimes they'll craft these elaborate spreadsheets. And then it's a small mistake that trips them up. And I think it's because we get bogged down with complexity. And then as a result, it's the little things that end up uh, messing us up. The, the story there that I shared from the test stage was there was a plan or a mission to actually study the climate of Mars And it ended up being an unmitigated failure because the spacecraft actually exploded and and burned. (laughs) And the reason was there were two teams working on the mission. And so these are rocket scientists working on this incredibly elaborate mission. And one of the teams was using the metric system and the other team was using inches, feet and pounds. And so You have these legitimate rocket scientists forgetting to check that both teams are using the same unit of measurements. And we actually see that on a much smaller scale in teams and individuals all around the world. You have to check the basics. So that would be my answer to that question.
1: I love it. If if rocket scientists can fail, then so can the rest of us humble beings. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Matt, this has been a great conversation because, you know, I think a lot of people may think of simulation experiential learning as something either to be done by training providers, which you know your firm and my firm are, but perhaps even beyond, you know, when you think about like the technology required to create something you've done it's something that's just not within their grasp. But I think what I'm really taking away, and I think what people listening should take away is that every leader has the capability to bring simulation to their work, whether they're coaching, mentoring, leading a team. And there's some very simple ways to do that you know uh, the the role playing the counterfactual exercise getting into it um, checking the basics that that everyone should incorporate I know I, I'm taking away some things that I'll be using with my team um, to sharpen our focus and, and give ourselves a chance to be better at our business so I appreciate you sharing I can see why you guys are good at what you do
0: well thank you very much for the time I've really really appreciated it
1: yeah, and if um, if people want to kind of get a taste of what you do or any of the content of the building, where should they go and uh, what should they look at? You can find us on all
0: of the social medias and uh, via Google search, just ability and simulation based learning. I'm on all of the social medias as Matthew Confer. And then you mentioned earlier, and it was an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast, which is called Learn to Lead. And that has been a wonderful thing that our organization has done. And so I thank you uh, for your time on that. And I thank all of your listeners for the, uh, the attention today.
1: Yeah, and we'll put a link to that in the the episode notes as well because it's a great podcast. Not not my episode. I mean, it's one of, <laughs> one of the larger ones, but the uh, the podcast in general, I mean, is uh, is well worth a a follow. So thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your expertise, and look forward to continuing partnership between our organizations.
0: Thanks so much.
1: Hope you enjoyed that conversation today with Matt Confer of Ability and the many insights he had around how to use role-playing simulation as leadership tools uh, next time on the Inspire podcast i have a, a guest who just kind of blew my mind with her insights and experience her name is renee morriso she is a producer a writer a director and a musician uh who is deeply connected to the practice of storytelling and using stories as a form of leadership and healing in many First Nation communities. She's a storyteller in residence in BC. She's coming to speak to my team. And uh, I just um, took so much from our conversation about the practice of storytelling and what it can do for people. So definitely an episode uh, not to miss. I know people love the podcasts I do on storytelling. And this was, uh, this was a powerful one. So tune in next time for that episode. And in the meantime, if you're enjoying the Inspire podcast, rate and review it, promote it, help get the word out. Uh, I always appreciate that. Thanks and go forth and be inspired.